In this episode of the Chairleaf podcast, we're going to ask, whatever happened to user-generated content? This is the Chairleaf podcast. Hello and welcome to the Chairleaf podcast. I'm Ellis Pratt. I'm one of the directors at Chairleaf. And this episode is brought to you by Cherryleaf's recruitment service. If you're looking to hire a permanent or a contract writer and you're finding it difficult, then our recruitment service can help you tap into the network of professional writers that are out there. If you contact us via info at cherryleaf.com, then we'd be very happy to help you. If you go back to around 2010, then you'd have probably heard quite a lot of talk about user-generated content and the idea that users could or would write some of the documentation for products. And there was lots of talks about Wikipedia and using wikis, and there were companies like Atlassian who were enabling their users to add comments at the bottom of pages and to create pages from scratch. But today we don't really hear that much about it. So what's happened? The idea of user-generated content was very attractive to organisations. The promise was that you could get effectively free labour, users volunteering to create content for you, and that you could have the wisdom of the crowds that different people would contribute and together you would end up with a really good set of information and the basic principle, build it and they will come, create a platform for people to create content and that's what they would do. And one of the companies that was looking at this at that time was, as I said, Atlassian and a technical writer at Atlassian called Sarah Maddox had a blog called Feathers And she was posting articles on what was happening there and what they were doing in this particular field. And on her blog, she wrote the following. On the Atlassian product documentation, we allow everyone to add comments, even people who haven't logged into the wiki. Their comments are recorded as anonymous. Some comments are very relevant to the documentation itself. For example, the comments on a page about supported platforms in the Confluence Administrator's Guide. Other comments can be requests for help or suggestions for new features or improvements in the product. Often a reader will add some information that will be useful to other readers. And she wrote what they hope to get by doing this. People will tell us about errors or gaps in the documentation. People use the documentation as a tool to help each other. We learn about new ways that people are using our products and sometimes even about new ways that they want to use the documentation. The documentation becomes an active hub of interesting information. Readers receive notifications when other people add comments and so keep coming back to the documentation to see the latest. The documentation sticks in their mind as a good place to find out what they need. However, the reality has turned out to be different. Atlassian stopped enabling people to add comments and create pages back in 2015, 
And many open source applications have an issue with missing or out-of-date documentation where they can find volunteers to write the code for the application, but they can't find people to write the readme files, the getting started guides, and the user documentation. And we reported back on this change in 2015 on the Cherry Leaf blog, quoting Atlassian's Nick Doherty. And he wrote, committing to moderating page comments creates two huge problems. An ever-increasing amount of comments to moderate, and, as a result, proportional overhead on the team. For a company of our size, it just doesn't scale. Only about 20% of comments are contextual. The rest are various types of requests, such as support, new features, and general product inquiries. We need to promote better wayfinding from the documentation to the other more suitable Atlassian channels and use our limited time in the most efficient way possible. We'll still listen to and help our customers, we're just shifting the arena. Comments languish unanswered if the IX team doesn't have the bandwidth to review them. Today the most responsive doc space only achieves between 60 to 80% response rate, with most spaces below 40%. That's an unacceptable user experience. There's no quick or easy mechanism to archive outdated comments, meaning new readers often encounter outdated answers and workarounds in the comments. And those aren't the only reasons why user-generated content hasn't been as popular as perhaps we might have expected. There can be the fear for the writer. If you're not experienced in writing and you're writing content, for the first time, you might be worried that you would be seen as being stupid, that you write information that's just not correct. There's the fear that you know some, but not all of the answer. How many people find writing English in a clear and easy to understand way difficult? As well as the lack of time for the people reviewing the content, People who might be creating content also can lack time and they may not see the need to write the content. There's governance issues, as we saw in that Atlassian post, around reviewing the contributions, creating and managing a taxonomy, managing the spam, keeping everything consistent in terms of tone and style and formatting and layout. And related to that, for the writer, understanding the information model that's been created. If content is being reused or menus are being added to wrap around the content when it's published, that can be very confusing for a user if they are not familiar with it. And we have issues around different versions, different geographical locations, different user types. How can a user understand and address those issues? There are challenges around the tools that they use. The tools that professional technical authors use are probably too complex for the average end user. So there's a approach to using simpler tools, using platforms that use Markdown, for example, or a wiki. But again, the difficulty can be if you need a complex information model 
then the markdown itself can get complex as well with embedded scripting and the like. Managing the linking, creating the linking, tracking it all, that can be quite difficult. And there's often a misunderstanding as to why Wikipedia has been so successful. Wikipedia itself is based on the 1910 or 1912 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. So there was a body of knowledge that was edited and updated from the start. They weren't beginning with a blank sheet of paper. And it's said with Wikipedia that there's the 99-1 ratio that comes into play. That for every one writer, there will be nine editors and there will be nine readers. So the proportion of people that are willing to create content, that have the time to create the content, is quite small. So if you don't have the large user base that an organisation like Wikipedia has, you just may not have the scale to have enough writers. And implicit in the experience of Atlassian, there's issues over brand control. There's the fear of people saying negative things and spam and other comments that you don't really want there, having to go through and edit those out or just live with, if you leave them there, having that within your content. So where are we today? Well, there are some successes out there. For example, the MDN Web Docs platform that used to be known as the Mozilla Developer Network, which is a wiki, a platform for developers for creating developer-related content. And I thought it might be useful to share the approach that MDN takes to encourage people to create content. So they have a page called Three Simple Steps to MDN. And it says, MDN is a wiki where anyone can add and edit comments. You don't need to be a programmer or know a lot about technologies. There are plenty of things that need to be done from the simple proofreading and correcting typos to the complex writing API documentation. Contributing is easy and safe. Even if you make a mistake, it's easily fixed. Even if you don't know exactly how things should look or your grammar isn't all that good, don't worry about it. We have a team of people whose job it is to make sure MDN's contents are as good as possible. Someone will be along to make sure your work is tidy and well-written. Share what you know and follow your strengths. Step one, create an account on MDN. Step two, pick a task to complete. Now you're logged in, read the descriptions of different task types in the list below and decide which one most appeals to you. You can pick any task you like and begin your contribution. Step three, do the task. Don't worry about doing it perfectly, etc. And then it talks about possible task types. There are multiple avenues you can take to contribute to MDN, depending on your skill set and interests. Even though some tasks may be daunting, we do have lots of simple activities available. A lot of them need only five minutes or less of your time. Along with the task and its short description, you'll find the approximate time that each type of task typically takes. Option one, I like words. You can help us review or edit existing docs and apply correct tags to them. 
For example, set the summary for a page, editorial reviews, update an existing article with new information, write a new entry in the glossary, write an article about a new technology or API, write an article to help people learn about the web. If you're reviewing articles or writing new ones, we ask you to please review the style guide. This will help to ensure that articles are consistent. Option two, I like code. We need more code samples, exclamation mark. Convert code samples to be live, set up a build environment, send your code patch to the code base, submit a new demo. And option three, I like both words and code. We have tasks that require both technical and language skills, like writing new articles, reviewing for technical accuracy or adapting documents. Tag JavaScript pages, promote MDN on your own website, technical reviews, write or update an API reference, write a new article on a topic you are familiar with, and add or update browser compact data on a reference page. And fourth option, which is I want MDN in my own language, uh, which is about translation and translating different pages and coordinating with localizers. Oh, and there's option five, finally. I found some wrong info, but I don't know how to fix it. And it says you can report problems by filing a documentation issue. So they try to make it as easy and encouraging as possible for people to contribute to the MDN network. And Microsoft's documentation itself, particularly for developers, is now written in a way where there's a button you can click and you can edit the documentation and it will take you to a markdown authoring environment. You can submit some changes to the content and then that will go through an approval process within Microsoft. And you can see for some pages, there's been maybe nine or 10 different contributors updating the documentation. Again, mostly within the developer environment. And a great deal of content is created on platforms like Stack Overflow, which is again more for developers, which is a question and answer forum where people can post questions and different people will submit answers and those answers will get voted up or down so that ideally the best answer will appear at the top. And also Slack, which is a channel by which people can again use instant messaging to pose questions and have threaded comments and get answers to their questions. So why are these successful when other platforms haven't been? Well, a common theme with the ones that I mentioned there are that they're really within the developer environment, that the content is written by developers. Developers are the users of the content, the users of the tools and the platforms that are being discussed. And the people that are writing it are often experts. They know what they're talking about. So that has a, an impact, that has an effect. And another reason is probably that many of these platforms promote the idea of questions and answers, a conversation. And as I mentioned, there's this opportunity to vote up and vote down different responses so that you can have the best ideas float to the top, a parliament of ideas, as it were. We've seen a move 
from wikis in some situations to having the content hosted on GitHub and the authoring environment to be marked down. Now that's not greatly different from how you would write content in a wiki, but it is using tools that developers use on a daily basis, tools that they're familiar with. And although Docs's code is a different subject, that's more about getting subject matter experts to add content to documentation that technical authors write, it is leading to similar results. It is making it easier for people within that developer environment to write content when they want to. But there is another area of user-generated content that I haven't mentioned that has been really successful. And that is video, videos and walkthroughs. And you can go onto YouTube and you can find so much information around applications and products from simple things like product reviews, unboxing videos, to how to solve a particular problem, how to complete a particular task, overviews of products, how they work, and so on. And it's possible with tools like Camtasia and Snagit and other tools to quickly create a video and either post it onto an internal network within Office 365 or similar, or onto YouTube, either as a public or as a private video, and for people to watch that. So why has video taken off? Surely there are the same issues as writing text as there are creating a video? Well, I think part of it is that creating video appeals to the creative side of people. It's engaging the visual element in creating information. It's easier to create a narrative. In many ways, the tools that are being used to create the information are based on a narrative approach that we can tell a story by using video. And the tools are relatively easy to use in terms of chopping out and editing different bits of information. And for some, they have the opportunity to make money from it. You can post videos up to YouTube and have adverts within them and make some money. You can monetize the creation of video. However, of course, you still have the same issues over the user and others maintaining that information, keeping it up to date. And in many ways, you're reliant on the algorithm to downgrade the videos that are out of date or unpopular and to promote the ones that are up to date, accurate and popular. So where does that leave us? What can we do with user generated content? We can see it's possible within a developer environment to get developers who are users to create content, particularly by asking questions. And it may be within other environments that question and answer approach could work for you. We can also see that video is popular and successful, and there may be opportunities for us to encourage our end users to create more video. But there are still the issues around governance, checking things are correct factually, making sure they're the right quality and so on. So if we do this, what we need to do is put the mechanisms in place to check what's being created, 
bring it all together so it's easy to find and have some mechanism by which we can maintain it or promote the ones that are the best ones and downplay the ones that are the worst ones. But what do you think? What works for you? If you'd like to share your thoughts, then contact us, info at cherryleaf.com, or you can contact me, Ellis Pratt, on Twitter and share your thoughts.